0: Everyone has something in their life that can be a stressor, but some people deal with their situations in more positive ways in order to take control. It's not difficult. You can do this too. Welcome to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully, with your host, Rusty Williams. In this program, you'll learn how using hypnosis and mindfulness can lessen the stress and strengthen your life. Now, here is Rusty Williams.
1: Well, good morning. Here we are, another Wednesday, we made it, right? Halfway through the week, unless you had a job like I used to have as a police officer and Wednesdays really didn't matter because you had days off throughout the week. But no matter what, we made it to Wednesday, here we are, and I think it's really appropriate talking about that we've made it this far because today's topic is going to be talking about adversity and resilience and how we can build resilience and the benefits of it. And don't forget to check me out, check out, uh, check me out. That sounds good, doesn't it? Check out our um, website at njhypnosistraining.com where we post blogs, uh, information on training, information on certifications, things like that, all kind of research is there. And also check out our Facebook page, NJ Hypnosis Training, where we post um, weekly, maybe two or three times a week, information beneficial to things mindfully related and hypnotically related. And so today's topic is adversity and resilience, where we're going to talk about the benefits of being resilient and ways to strengthen and build resiliency in our lives so that we can better deal with the adversities we come across. And this is a topic that's very personal, very special to me, and we're going to have a guest joining us in just a minute. Um, But let me explain why this is a topic that's so personal To me, I shared with you um, the very first episode of this show that I live with a tumor in my spinal cord and all the challenges in life that that brings, both personally, medically, spiritually, financially, so there's adversity there. But what I haven't shared with you is what 2019 was like. Here we are starting the second month of 2020, but let me just give you a real quick snippet of my life a year ago. It was in, I'd been dealing with diverticulitis since 2017, and finally in March of last year of 2019, I had surgery, I had a bowel resection where they removed, the surgeon removed about a foot of my colon because it was diseased from diverticulitis. That was supposed to be a three, four day hospital stay, Um, that's about the average. I was in for 10 days because I developed what's called an ileus and my, basically my bowel My bowels, uh, that's a great topic for a visual to start the day, Um, but my bowels fell asleep. They, in major surgeries in the abdomen, I guess I was told this can happen. And so my bowels fell asleep and they never woke up. So I was in the hospital for 10 days, not being able to eat or drink anything for 10 days. Get released from the hospital, things are going good. Two months later, I have a pain pump implanted in me um, to help with the pain. There's no narcotics in it. But there is a um, anti-spasmodic, if you will, um, that stops my muscles from going into spasms. The pain pump failed; it actually that the motor fried, and so my doctor had to call in an emergency prescription of the medicine that's in it. Because without that, and because I'd been on it for so long, I can actually go. I could actually go into withdrawal, withdrawing from the the, um, the medicine. And that's what happened. Even though I was taking the oral medicine, um, it wasn't strong enough. And my body was starting to go through withdrawal. So I took to the emergency room and emergency surgery to take out the old pain pump, put in a new pain pump. That was in May. Things are going great. My life is finally getting, yeah, this every other month thing continued because in July, I started having a lot of pain in my abdomen and my gallbladder decided to just, nah, we're done with you. So, into the ER, another admission with complications, another surgery for gallbladder surgery. Same doctor, by the way, the same surgeon. Two months later, everything's going great. Two months later, in September, my wife Elisa develops severe abdominal pain with high fevers, nausea. We take her to the emergency room. She's diagnosed with diverticulitis. And since September, between September and just the beginning of this year, January, ELISA had six hospital admissions in those four months, um, including two surgeries, um, a temporary colostomy, all kinds of infections coming home with pick lines. Um, that is an IV line where um, antibiotics can be given while you're home. But that's a long way of saying this. 2019 was a year of adversity for the Williams household. And so I am thrilled to be able to share today that we have a very special guest who, I don't know if she would call herself an expert, but after reading her books, I certainly think she is. Joining us today is going to be Linda Graham. Linda is a psychotherapist and mindful self-compassion teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's the author of two books, uh, Resilience, Powerful Practices for Bouncing Back from Disappointment, Difficulty, and Even Disaster, and the award-winning book, Bouncing Back, rewiring your brain for maximum resilience and well-being. Linda integrates neuroscience, mindfulness, and relational psychology in workshops and presentations where she's trained thousands of clinicians and lay people, just like you and me, throughout the United States and in Canada, Australia, Europe, and in the Middle East. Linda, good morning, and thank you for joining us today.
2: Good morning, Rusty, and thank you very much for having me and for sharing your story
1: well I, I that's just part of the story, but yeah so you can, so when I Linda and I were talking just before we went live, and I was telling her how you know honored I am and how topical this this is to me and so Linda, now you know why um you know i I say that so let's hit the ground running um because there's so many questions I have i've my wife Elisa has read one of Linda's book, Bouncing Back, and I read the other book, Resilience, uh, in preparing for this interview today. And my wife and I are comparing notes and we're saying to each other, you have to read this book. And I'm saying, no, you got to read the book that I just read. So let me start by asking you this, Linda. In preparing for today's show, I Googled, for lack of a better word. I did some searching, some research. I even looked at scholarly articles on, on you know, Google Scholar. And when you just type in resilience, you know, there is such, it's such a broad topic that I was getting all kind of information from being resilient in, in just all kind of ways, in the business uh, world, in the personal world. How would you describe resilience for, for the topic that we're going to talk about today?
2: Well, when I told my brother, Barry, that I was writing a book on resilience, he said, oh, what's that? <laughs> oh, I know. It's bouncing back from the terrible, and I think that's a good enough definition for most people of resilience, which is bouncing back from the adversities and the challenges and the crises that we face in our lives, and I am honored to be talking with you this morning, but I'm also humbled because I hear the struggles of the human spirit to face the challenges that are part of the human condition. And I do teach about resilience bouncing back from adversity because whether it's personal, whether it's illness, whether it's relational in a marriage, whether it's business or in a job, whether it's a health issue, whether it's our national issues in national politics, there are certain principles and practices of resilience that would underlie facing any crisis any catastrophe and that's what I try to teach is those general practices of resilience or having a resilience mindset that would allow us to cope with anything with anything at all
3: Wow
1: well that's that, that would certainly be helpful I mean in the in the cultural landscape the political landscape we find ourselves in today in our own in our own lives what and what a gift that would be to give ourselves is, is there a Is there a reason that you got interested in resilience? I mean, was there, without obviously giving anything away that's confidential, but was there a a patient of yours? Was there anything that happened that had you get this interest in resilience?
2: Well, I've been a psychotherapist for 25 years, and basically every patient walks in with wanting to be more skillful and more empowered to deal with whatever disappointment, difficulty, or disaster they're facing in their lives. And people come in to therapy often if they feel overwhelmed. By the stressors in their lives or the lack of resources to cope with those stressors or the lack of internal resources, their inner strength, their inner courage, their inner self-esteem. So I was finding that pretty much everyone is needing some help in finding those capacities of resilience within and they are innate in our being because they're innate in our brain and they can be cultivated and strengthened and developed. So, I wrote the book Bouncing Back originally so I could have a book that I could hand my clients and say, here are some very practical tools, very practical techniques that you can use to rewire your brain and strengthen your own inner resilience. So, that's how I got interested. I happened to hit a wave of interest in our country in resilience with the neuroscience of resilience and how we can learn to work with our brains, with our minds, to be able to become more resilient from the bottom up and from the inside out. So that was why part of why my teaching has just taken off because I'm not talking just about belief systems or self-talk. I'm really talking about how you can rewire the neural circuitry in your brain to give you more flexible, adaptive responses to whatever stressor you're facing.
1: I love that. And when I started this show, I shared with the listeners that everything I do in in my practice is research-based. I'm not going to just talk about something just to talk about it. And I mentioned a lot about neuroscience and I do a lot of research. Obviously, you are a licensed practitioner. I'm not, and you're, you've you probably forgotten more about neuroscience than I'll ever learn. But I think it's important for the listeners to understand that we really can rewire our brains, can't we? We can change the thought pathways and mm-hmm. it, it's not that difficult. And one of the things that I've always shared with my clients is sometimes the simplest way of Finding a solution is often the best way. You know, we, I think we're geared to believe that if something has to be, a, a solution has to be long and complex and, and thought out till, till the nth degree, as my mom used to say. Um, when in reality, some of the practices, some of the exercises, some of the techniques, the strategies, some of the simplest are the most effective way of literally rewiring our brains.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Rusty, I have found that my patients very much like learning about how their brains work because it gives them a sense of empowerment and mastery. And I've also come to see that not only is brain change possible, but as many of the neuroscience experts say, it's more likely the brain changes on its own all the time anyway, and so we're wanting to learn how to harness that neuroplasticity. And as I teach more and more about resilience, I realize not only is it possible to rewire our brains, but to some extent, we have a responsibility to learn how to do that. We have a responsibility to learn what are the tools that will help me live my life and relate to my people in my world and relate to my world more skillfully and more effectively. And, of course, the magic is the brain learns best little and often. Small experiences repeated many, many times. That's how the brain changes its circuitry the best. And all of these tools for resilience are small experiences repeated many, many times. So they're practices that are very easy to find something that works for you and to repeat it many times a day, many times a week, and to literally watch your brain change how it's responding to the same trigger, the same event, the same stressor, and it'll be able to respond in different, more flexible, more adaptive ways. So I think that little and often is something that people can take with them. I can do small practices, repeat them many times, and I will change my life.
1: Wow. Simpl- again, the, the simplest strategies, the easiest ones, tend to be the most effective. Now, right. are there are there people that, that you have, have you found in your practice that some people are more resilient than others? I mean, what makes, is, is there the ideal patient for you? It would be a client for me since I'm not licensed. Is there an ideal patient for you that, that has, that you know has that ability to increase, to build, to cultivate that resilience, or is it innate in all of us?
2: Well, here we go. The capacity to be resilient is innate in all of us, unless there is some organic impairment in the brain that would prohibit that. But basically, we all have those capacities. What I found makes the most difference is when people have had trauma, When their capacities to cope have been overwhelmed too many times, or for too long, or starting at too young of an age, then it's harder for the brain to function in the ways necessary to be able to rewire itself. So a lot of what I do with my patients is to heal any attachment trauma, any trauma from life events later in life, any complex developmental trauma, so that the brain has the flexibility that it needs to be able to respond to events differently. So really the ideal patient is one who is willing to see what their patterns are and learn to change them it's just taking responsibility for learning those tools that's the ideal patient and it's really not so dependent on how much trauma there's been but how much willingness is there to do the work
1: so it's not so much about what's in your history it's what's inside you that motivates you that says yeah i'm going to take responsibility now and i'm going to work the best I can to be the best person I can be going forward instead of living in the past.
2: Right. So there's two thoughts I'm going to respond with here. One is a quote from my colleague, Frankie Perez, who says, how you respond to the issue is the issue. And so we're learning about resilience that how we perceive and how we respond to the stressors that we're facing is the key factor. The severity of the stressor does make a difference. It's it's different coping with a fender bender than coping with a car accident where there's been a serious injury, than coping with causing the death of a child in a car accident. The severity of the stressor makes a difference. And the w- resources that we have to draw on family and friends and financial and medical and logistical, all of that makes a difference too, spiritual resources. But a key factor is our own internal resources and our own choices about how we're going to respond to the issue, and that's what we can cultivate in resilience training. The second thought I had, and I'm just jumping right into the second thought, um, resilience is seen as bouncing back. It's returning to a baseline of whatever we had before. But when there's been overwhelming trauma, and we're really trying to move into post-traumatic growth, that is considered bouncing forward. It isn't necessarily bouncing back to a baseline, because the baseline may have disappeared, but bouncing forward into a new life with new strengths and new opportunities and new possibilities, new sense of community, new sense of spiritual practice. And so... I do look at both. Sometimes we're returning to a baseline, recovering what we had. And sometimes we're discovering something new that we never had before, couldn't have imagined, but now is unfolding.
1: Wow. that's I, I, I'd, I'd love to pick up on that um, a, after the break because there's some something that I found that, that I discovered that there's got to be a difference between bouncing back you know, from, from what you called post-traumatic growth that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm growing from this and actually being resilient um, in, in learning different techniques where, like you said, going back to that baseline. So if it's okay with you, can you hang on after the break? yes please oh no you please I'm saying please you, 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 you have things to do today I'm, I got this to do today so here's what we'll do we'll, we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll follow up with that you know what is the difference between post-traumatic growth you know bouncing forward and that resilience as far as bouncing back and we'll pick up on that right after this short break and Linda thanks for sticking around we'll be right back everybody
3: at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events
0: have you become a member yet
1: Success starts here.
4: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world.
0: You're listening to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. To reach the program today, you're welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send Rusty an email, his email address is 13.rwilliams at gmail.com. Now back to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. And before the break, Linda and I were – well, Linda was talking. I was listening. <laughs> but we, we, she was discussing, and at least I was asking the question, about the difference between resilience, that is, bouncing back, is Linda, you know, the simple definition, and what she's described as post-traumatic growth. And Linda, maybe you can talk about the difference. I know both are important. But what is the difference? You know, I grow from my adversities. I grow from the challenges. I I share that with my clients. That you know, we we go through life. We learn. We grow. But what's the difference between that kind of growth, especially from something that that's really bad that's happened, a, a trauma in our life, as opposed to just bouncing back and being resilient?
2: Well, I think one of the hallmarks of bouncing forward post traumatic growth is being able to learn from the experience. What are the lessons that I learned? How would I do it differently next time? Actually, what were the gifts in that mistake? What am I taking away from that experience? I think when we're developing a resilience mindset, we're sort of rehearsing that. (laughs) We're pre-wiring that. And we're looking at any experience in life as a cue to practice resilience. Everything that happens, every stressor that happens is a cue to practice resilience and learn from adversity. So the resilience mindset is more we know. We know that shit happens, but shift happens too. Oh, I love and that. So, so we're always rehearsing and preparing ourselves for, well, if this was a moment that really walloped me, what can I learn from it? How can I learn to be more resilient from the get-go As I go forward, and I do teach bottom-up and inside-out. So when I'm working with patients, I teach somatic tools, how to regulate the nervous system. I teach emotional intelligence, how to manage the disruptive emotions and cultivate the positive emotions so we can shift the functioning of the brain. I teach relational intelligence within ourselves and how we deal with the self-talk that goes on inside of ourselves relational intelligence with other people so that we can both find people who can be refuges and resources but also be able to differentiate from people who might be toxic in our lives and then the reflective intelligence of being mindful, seeing clearly what's happening, seeing clearly our reactions to what's happening, having some compassion for our reactions to what's happening and then being able to discern options and make wise choices. So I think there's really a whole program there's a whole curriculum that allows us to meet every life experience differently including learning from the most catastrophic ones
1: got it um, Wow you you talked you just mentioned two things that in, in reading your book there was so much connection with what you're doing in, in mindfulness um uh, Strategies, techniques, tools for resilience, and what I do with my clients and teaching them mindfulness techniques, not nearly to the level that, that you do, but also in in hypnosis. And you mentioned a couple times right there, the idea of self-reflection and of self-talk. And in your book, Resilience, if I remember correctly, you talk about the inner critic and the importance of acknowledging the inner critic. and even, thanking it for doing its job, the, you know, the intention of of keeping us safe. And in hypnosis, with hypnotists, we do something similar. We call it, some call it, and I'm sure you might, uh, we call it parts negotiation. You might call it parts therapy, um, where we actually thank the unconscious mind for doing what we thought it was supposed to be doing to keep the client safe. And then we let the unconscious mind know that the client has grown and is more mature than when that habit or whatever it was took hold. And then we, of course, ask the unconscious mind to think of alternative, healthier techniques, uh, anything positive, healthy ways to meet the needs of the client. And then we let the unconscious mind make those choices and and instill them and install them. And then we thank the unconscious mind. We thank that part for doing its job. Um, Why is it important to thank the part or the parts of us that was doing something in our mind that was causing us pain or suffering why is it important to acknowledge that inner critic and to and to thank it
2: so as we grow up from our first breath <laughs> growing up in our families and growing up in our communities and growing up in our culture and our society we are always developing strategies to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe and we do that so that we can Explore and take risks and be creative in the world. I mean, we have basic protective strategies. And our autonomic nervous system will do that for us unconsciously. And we learn those patterns from our families and our peers and our teachers and our coaches and our partners as we're growing up. We have many, many strategies that operate unconsciously. And the truth is, when we're facing something that's really... Threatening, We want to be able to respond very quickly and not have to think it through and develop a business plan about it. <laughs> but those patterns um, operate implicitly. They operate outside of awareness. And so we can be operating out of habits that may no longer serve us so well. And when we want to rewire those habits, we bring them to conscious awareness. We have compassion and even gratitude. Thank you for keeping me alive and safe all this time so far. Now I think I want to develop different ways of moving through the world. I'm not going to throw you out. You're still in the toolbox, but I'm going to get 20 other tools in the toolbox that might work better in different situations. And the reason that we thank those parts is to not be in internal conflict internal negativity about ourselves. We want to be able to grow into a wise mind and a wise heart that can hold all of those strategies, bow to them, thank you for keeping me safe, I can make different choices now, you can go into a different role in my life now, but it's that honoring that actually keeps the brain open, that sense of safety and accepting allowing and accepting and embracing is what keeps the brain open it primes the neuroplasticity of the brain for new learning and growth so it makes it possible then to learn new strategies the inner critic is probably the hardest part we have both when we feel pounded by it but also to come into a relationship with it Of respecting and even having some compassion for you, have been working so hard. You work so hard to keep me from messing up and making a fool of myself. Thank you. I have grown. My higher self, my wise mind, now can do that job. I can now protect myself, and make choices about how I want to behave in the world. So, I'm going to do that job from now on. Thank you very, very much for all of your good service. You can retire now. And that allows the inner critic to accept the wiser mind as now, the as one of my clients says, wise inner leader of the self. Ooh, yeah, I love that. And so... We have the conversation, an explicit, conscious conversation between the wise mind and the inner critic to be able to renegotiate that relationship in a conscious way. And then when the inner critic comes up, bow, we've already had this conversation. Thank you very much. I'm still going to make my own decisions now. And it, it leaves us freer. In fact, to take responsibility for ourselves, because we're not always paying attention to the inner critic, we're paying attention to our wise mind.
1: That so, if I hear you correctly, by bowing to it, by thanking it, by acknowledging it, and, and saying, "Yeah, you know, you've you've kept us safe," it gets rid of that inner turmoil within our brains, so that that neuroplasticity can take place in our brains. In other words, that that gets in the way of rewiring our brain if we don't make peace with it.
2: Exactly. The inner turmoil gets in the way of rewiring our brain. And when we can bring that inner turmoil to a calm, to a resolution, the brain is free again to begin to do its learning and growing and changing. Yeah.
1: So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the show. I'm a listener out there. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm some guy out there, you know, listening why I'm doing whatever I'm doing. This sounds fantastic. I guess a question I would have if if I was new to this and I didn't understand this is how long does it take for people to get to that place? In other words, I want to strengthen my resilience. Okay, I've I've learned this. This is great information. I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to get to that point where I'm finally resilient. How long does it take? Are there simple strategies that, that we can start using right away?
2: Well, there are very, very powerful practices that we can start using right away. Um, The first one I teach is, well, I'm going to actually, the second one I teach. The second one I teach is called the Self-Compassion Break, which is from the Mindful Self-Compassion Protocol, developed by Kristen Neff at University of Texas, Austin, and Chris Germer at Harvard. And it's one of the most powerful techniques we have. When something is happening and we're distressed, And we take a moment to notice the distress, not just doing a bypass, not just repressing it or ignoring it, but taking a moment to mindfully notice, oh, yuck, this feels awful. And I don't know what to do. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed here. But taking a moment to notice, hand on the heart, which begins to activate the release of oxytocin, the brain's hormone of... Safety and trust is the brain's direct and immediate antidote to the stress hormone cortisol. So you begin to bring a sense of safety to your body right off the bat. So you begin to breathe more deeply, hand on the heart, this is really hard. And then you say the phrases, something like, may I be kind to myself in this moment. Saying that breaks the automaticity of the response. It brings you into the present moment. May I be kind to myself in this moment? May I accept this moment exactly as it is? That's the mindfulness practice, and that acceptance is one of the most significant predictors we have of how well we're going to cope with adversity. May I accept myself exactly as I am in this moment because that acceptance again shifts the functioning of the brain from the contraction and reactivity and negativity. To receptivity and openness and to optimism. May I give myself all the compassion and courageous action that I need because we're we're not we're doing a practice not just to feel better but to do better. That practice is in the moment, in this moment, and it will shift things fairly immediately. But I expand that practice to say over time, may I be kind to myself in any moment. May I accept every moment exactly as it is? And that becomes a way of being. So we can do these practices that actually shift our response instantly. It will make a difference instantly. And when we repeat them over time and expand the practice, it can become a way of being. Resilience can become a way of being.
1: Wow. Um, You you just blew my mind only because in my notes that, that I have here, I have with an asterisk, and, and I'm looking right at it right now, so if you hear paper shuffling, I apologize. In my notes for this program, I have hand-on-heart exercise, page 36. That exercise, when, when I read it, the simplicity of it, and I've been practicing that, by the way, um, mm-hmm. daily. And it sounds So simple, it sounds too simple. Let let me let me. When I first read it, I'm going to be completely honest with you, there's no sense pulling any punches. I thought, come on, putting my hand over my heart and just breathing in. But then I remembered really what mindfulness really is. And you know, I have to sometimes that self talk, my own self inner critic sometimes uses a two by four, by the way, hit me back Mm -hmm. upside the head to say, wait a minute, you're a mindfulness practitioner yourself. This is mindfulness. And the simplicity of it, I just love the idea of placing the hand on the heart, breathing in, breathing out, and giving those positive affirmations, not denying it, not suppressing it, but actually acknowledging it and, and, and moving forward and being kind and gentle with myself. Mm-hmm. What, what a, an amazing, <laughs> simple tool.
2: So I always suggest to my readers, my workshop participants, and my patients, experiment. Experiment. Try hand on the heart. And if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, you'll try something else. There's 133 exercises in the book Resilience. So there's something to try. And you'll find something that will work for you. The reason hand on the heart works is it very quickly begins to regulate the nervous system and bring the nervous system back to our baseline equilibrium that is being resilient right there. We come back to our natural state of being calm and relaxed, but engaged and alert. And from there, the higher brain can stay online and begin to figure out what it wants to do to respond to the situation. So it's simple, but it's working with our natural innate body brain in the way it needs to be worked with to come back to calm so that we can be resilient.
1: So so when I asked you, you know, how long does it take for people to, to start strengthening their resilience – The answer is, it starts immediately. Would that be the answer?
2: Oh, so it starts immediately. One of the things I loved, I just recently learned that neuroscientists can see a difference in the brain when people smile for 20 seconds. 20 seconds of smiling causes a shift in the functioning of the brain that they can see in their scanners. So it can be instant, but we're talking about rewiring habits creating a new habit. And I also read in a study from Greater Good Science Center that it takes 62 repetitions for the brain to establish that new neural circuitry in the brain as a new habit. So that's why we do things little and often, small experiences, hand on the heart, smiling at a friend, repeated many times because it's the repetition that installs the neural circuitry.
1: Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, sixty two times kind okay, I'm, I'm doing the, as you're talking. I'm doing the math uh, in my head as far as how often I need to do this, every. but really, you know a couple times every hour to you know it, when you're watching TV when the commercial comes on, it's something as, as simple as that, that, the small, easy ways to do this. Linda, we're running out of time, we're up against the break right now. Um, i, I got to ask you this. I need to have you one again. I haven't gotten, I I, I think, I'm looking at my papers, I'm looking at a board in front of me, I haven't even touched the number of questions that I have for you about your book. I'd like to talk about your books more, uh, about your work. If possible, down the road, can Would you be willing? I know this, you know, hopefully I didn't twist your arm too much and it wasn't too painful. I'd love to have you back on the show though if you're able to down the road.
2: Rusty, send me an email. We'll work it out. I love being able to offer these tools because I do think they're helpful to people.
1: Great. And Linda, before we go... Where can people find you? How can they get in contact with you?
2: So my website, which has many, many offerings, the archives of all the newsletters, the audio recordings of the exercises, the interviews with other experts on resilience, all free, easily downloadable. It's lindagraham-mft.net. lindagraham-mft.net.
1: Wonderful. Linda, I want to thank you for giving up your time. I know you have a busy schedule today. Um, and again, that's linda graham-mft.net. If our listeners want to get a hold of you, check out check out Linda's website. I've been there. I have yes, Linda, I was following you around. I was searching everything. It's a great website. It's easy to navigate. Linda, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Rusty. I've enjoyed it. Great. And everyone, we'll be right back in just a few minutes. It's your
4: world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community.
0: You're listening to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. To reach the program today, you're welcome to call in to 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. If you'd rather send Rusty an email, his email address is 13.rwilliams at gmail.com. Now back to Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. I want to thank Linda again. Again, that's lindagram mftnet uh, and the MFT. Linda is a marriage family therapist, so there's why the um, the letters MFT are there. Linda Graham-MFT.net is great, phenomenal website. And I was thinking during this this break, um, man, I, I ran out of time. I, there's so many. How often does that happen? In life, you know, we we run out of time. I had all these questions I wanted to ask Linda, all these topics I wanted to discuss, and we got through about three or four of them. And as I'm I'm sitting here waiting to come back as as the break was ending, it was a great reminder for me to practice mindfulness. You know, I, I was disappointed I didn't get to all the questions. I was kind of upset at myself that I go too long. And it was a great reminder to myself. And this happens, this is why I'm I'm sharing this with you. You know, mindfulness doesn't mean everything is, you know, unicorns and rainbows and, and everything is just phenomenal with the world. It's like Linda said, acknowledging that and then moving, moving on. So I acknowledge the fact, okay, I ran out of time. I'm going to get Linda back. Um, there's so much more we'd love to talk about. And I think learning this resilience that Linda was talking about in her books, by the way, are phenomenal. Um, my wife Elisa is reading. Has just finished bouncing back. I just finished resilience, and we're going to switch books, and we're going to then compare who thinks you know we we did a better job and what we learned from them. But you know, learning resilience is not just another way that mindfulness benefits us. It's another use of mindfulness. It's it demonstrates how many ways there are to practice mindfulness. And. Linda had, again, she said there are over a hundred exercises just in the one book alone. But I'd like to just, let let me just share with you because it's usually at this point in the program where, and as I explained to Linda, everything we do here is research-based, peer-reviewed research. Um, Linda's into neuroscience, so am I. Let me just share with you, if you think this is just, okay, this sounds great for those two that were talking, but what about me? What about my life? Um, Yeah, they can talk about that all they want, but Let me just share with you a couple things. One is a, it's a recent uh, University of Michigan study that showed people with what they call psychological resilience were in better overall health than those with weak resilience. In other words, whatever model they used, whatever testing tool they used, they found out that people with psychological resilience, higher psychological resilience, to be able to bounce back, as Linda said, were in better overall health than those with weak psychological resistance. And they concluded that having strong resilience strategies, which Linda mentioned one of them, the hand over the heart, um, was a predicting factor in those who had a better overall health score. So in other words, those having strategies, not just better resilience, but those having strategies going forward had a better overall health score. And in a study done at the uh, Arizona State University, Researchers showed that emotional resilience is of what they said, of great value to functional health and stress management, especially on cardiovascular risk. So, I I guess it's true. You know, a broken heart really can cause us some some physical manifestations. When we talk about cardiovascular health, obviously that's the, the cardiovascular system, that's the heart and the lungs. And these researchers found that those with emotional resilience had better overall cardiovascular health, that reduced the risk of, I guess, essentially having a heart attack or stroke. So these are simple exercises, simple techniques, simple strategies that really don't, aren't just beneficial to us on an emotional level, aren't just beneficial to us in a relationship um, situation. These are actual strategies that can help us live not just live better, live longer, not just live longer, live better. And so if we can practice these, like Linda said, you know, small little chunks of these numerous times a day, we literally rewire our brains the way Linda was talking about. Neuroscience has shown that with functional MRIs, um, PET scans, and things like that, where we can literally change our thought patterns and learn to think differently. By thinking differently, not only is our mental and emotional health stronger, better, but this research that I just shared with you shows that our physical health is even better. So with that in mind, I'd like to share once a few things with you that I didn't get a chance to ask Linda this. She mentions the idea of reframing in her book. Reframing is that the simple way that I would describe reframing and the way I talk to my clients about it is looking at something through a different lens from a different angle. So, I you know, I'm having this adversity in my life. I'm having this challenge in my life. How can I reframe it and look at it differently? How can I change it so that, not making believe it doesn't exist, by the way, but how can I change it so that I can learn from it, I can grow from it, and so that I can overcome it, and as Linda would say with the resilience, I can bounce back from it. And it seems to me, at least, that throughout my life, I tend to make bad situations worse than they are, and I tend to make good situations less than they are. I minimize them as if I'm somehow not worthy, as if, uh, come on, you know, yeah, this is good for right now, but, you know, it's waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Um, yeah, this this is good right now, but what about later tonight when I get home and, and this happens? Or, sure, this is great now, but now i got to get back to whatever it is that I'm doing. So we tend to, at least I do and it's been my experience in working with clients now, that we tend to minimize the good things in our lives and we tend to really exaggerate and catastrophize. There, there's a big word for you that um, therapists tend to use, at least I've read it in some of their writings. We catastrophize. We blow things out of proportion. We make things worse than they are. And I think sometimes we do that because we think, As, if I make it worse than it is and I plan for the worst possible outcome, and I strategize for that, then if it's not as bad, well, then I'm I'm better off, aren't I? Because if I think the worst and hope for the best, well, all this planning, at least I was doing something. At least that's our mindset. And I think the analogy has been used, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair, hoping that you move forward. You're doing something, but it's not really moving us forward. So here's a simple exercise that anyone can do. I share this with my clients, I share this with friends, I share this with my family members, and that's this. You know, growing up, my, we grew up in, in the same community that, that that my wife Elise and I live in now in Medford Lakes, New Jersey. And my mom loved birds, and so she had a we had bird feeders out front, and um, we had a, a bird book that identified all the birds, and um, my brother and I would sit there at the front window and you know, hey, that's, that's a finch. You know, that's a sparrow. That's a blue jay. Blue jays are easy, aren't they? Um, that's a cardinal. And we'd be able to see what, what, what the birds were. Well, my dad had an old pair of binoculars. And I'm talking in a big, old brown leather case. And my brother and I would take the binoculars, and we had to be real careful not to hit the glass, you know, the, 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 the pane, of the, the window pane, because it would scare the birds. And we would look at the birds. But my brother and I learned something and maybe you've done this, if you take that same pair of binoculars and turn it around and look through the wrong end of the binoculars, instead of things looking bigger and closer than they really are, if you take the binoculars, turn them around, so you look through the the, the big lens, the, the wrong part, everything looks further away and a lot smaller than they really are. And those times in life when we're faced with adversity, with challenges, with trauma, you know, we're, not going to make, we're not going to take the binoculars and look somewhere else. We're not going to close our eyes and make believe that it's not happening. But we can take those same binoculars that we've used and we've held up time after time after time and made things bigger than they really were and to feel so much closer than they actually are, when in reality they were out there, that was going on, it was there. But we tend to pick up those pair of binoculars so often, don't we? And we hold them up and things become so big so close, and we give them power, that this, this issue, power that it really doesn't have. But if we take those same binoculars in our hand, and we turn them around, and we look through the big end instead of the small end, those same issues that are there, again, not making believe they don't happen, not making believe it's not real, but we can at least take those binoculars, and instead of making things bigger, making things closer, making things worse than they are. We can metaphorically, in our minds, take those pair of binoculars, look at that object, look at that situation, look at that problem. Heck, look at that person. We all have that one person in our lives, don't we? We can look at that, and that's still there, but it appears further away, and it appears a lot smaller than it actually is where they appear a lot smaller than they actually are, whatever, whatever the issue is. So a simple technique you can use is to imagine you have a pair of binoculars and you've been holding these binoculars with that, with that issue and it's made things a lot bigger, a lot closer, a lot worse than it really is. Take those same binoculars, turn them around, look through the bigger end and have fun with this. Real, literally visualize this. Look through the bigger end and everything will appear smaller and further away. And that gives you that moment. And it might just be a moment. It might be a minute, it might be a while. It might be like, wow, this, really, this is really helpful. I'm gonna use it for all kind of things. But in that moment, it gives you time to take, take a breath, catch your breath, almost like someone threw your life preserver. See things around this issue instead of just focusing on the issue. And that thing seems further away, it seems smaller than it actually is, and it gives you time to think, to come up with a strategy, to come up with a game plan, so that you're able to think logically, to think in a, in a, in a healthy way, instead of the emotional part of our brain that says, oh my God, this is horrible, how am, I, how am I ever going to get through this? And remember what mindfulness is. Mindfulness isn't making believe that something doesn't exist. Mindfulness is simply being aware of the moment, that moment-to-moment awareness of where we are, what we're doing, who we're with, our environment, how we're feeling. But we can take that moment, and instead of catastrophizing what's happening in our lives, instead of making it worse, or at least seem worse, because let's face it, if we have the power to make it seem worse, don't we also have the power to make it seem smaller? If we have something we can make bigger, we can certainly make it smaller, so, use these binoculars. Use the binoculars in your life to see things differently, to reframe it, to see things from a different angle, from a different perspective. And if nothing else, it'll give you time to practice some of the resiliency skills that, or the strategies that, that Linda mentioned. It'll give you time to practice some of the mindful techniques that we've mentioned here on this show. So, that will wrap up this week's show. Next week's show, you're not going to want to miss. Next, next week, We're going to talk about covert hypnosis and embedded suggestions, how hypnosis is being used in conversations all around us, and it's being done in ways that we're not even aware of. I have a special guest, Jonathan Royal from England, from the United Kingdom, will be joining us. You're going to want to buckle your seatbelts because once he gets talking, I've heard his interviews, it's going to be fun. Speaking of fun, have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy yourselves practice those resilience techniques, and we'll
0: see you next week. Thank you for joining us this week for Thinking Hypnotically, Living Mindfully. Your host, Rusty Williams, invites you to tune in again next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.